There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered in that way. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell, uh, fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the other others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vineyard dresser, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it, be used, why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put manure. Then if it, it shall bear fruit next year, well and good. If not, you can cut it down. This is the word of God. I know it's really good to be with you, and um, I, I'm really glad to be here. Was anybody around this morning? A couple of people. So Martin asked me to come and, um, and share God's word with you. I was really excited to do that because I haven't been up this part of the world uh, before, even though I've been in South Africa a long time. I haven't been really up in Johannesburg very much. Uh, so I was really excited to come and do that. Uh, and um, I asked Man, what should I preach? And he basically said, look, I just want you to tell people about Jesus. So I thought, great, I'll do that. Uh, I'll tell people about Jesus. But I like picking really unexpected things. Uh, and I don't know what you thought of the reading just then about um, the mixing of the blood with the sacrifices and the fig tree and all of that. Uh, I don't know what you thought about that. But uh, I wanted to pick something that I didn't think anybody else would pick. Uh, to share with you. Uh, This morning we were talking about Jesus uh, and one of the things that I I find most striking about Luke's biography of Jesus is just how unpretentious the guy is. Uh, As you're reading Luke's story of Jesus, you just realize that uh, he's just an ordinary everyday guy. I mean, people, uh, maybe you don't know a lot about Jesus. I don't know what idea you have in your head about Jesus. A lot of people think that he's some kind of um, religious figure, some super spiritual kind of religious leader guy. Uh, a lot of people think of him maybe like Gandhi or something or, you know, an uh, a, a, a Eastern monk or somebody who sits on top of a mountain somewhere and kind of hands out platitudes or something like that. But as you read Luke's story of Jesus, you realize that actually he just looks nothing like that. Jesus just loves hanging around with ordinary people. He does. Uh, I think his two favorite things in the world are just hanging out, talking with people. Uh, That's one of them. And he does it over and over again. Everywhere he goes, out in the country or in the cities, in the towns, in the marketplaces, uh, he's got people around him, just ordinary, everyday people, nothing special. Uh, He's got people around him and he just loves talking with them. And he'll talk to anybody, uh, anybody who comes across his path. Uh, I think if they'd had pubs back then, that's where you would have found him. Uh, and uh, and they used to, uh, the religious leaders of Jesus' day didn't think a lot of that. Actually, they didn't like him very much for that. They used to call him friend of sinners. And by that, they weren't complimenting him. They were saying, look at the kind of people he hangs around with. Why would you want to be around this Jesus guy? Uh, he's a friend of such, you know, ridiculous, horrible people. 
Uh, but Jesus didn't think so. And, and the other thing Jesus loved doing was going to parties, I think. Uh, and as you, read, as you read Luke's story, he's continually at somebody's house having a, having a meal with them. Uh, and that's what we explored this morning. Uh, and you can go listen to that sometime later on the website, I'm sure, if you want to. Uh, but tonight, I wanted to do the other one. I wanted to do an incident where Jesus is out in the town gathering people around himself. Uh, the, the story actually begins in a party. Jesus is at a party, uh, and as normal, he's getting himself offside with the religious leaders of his day because he doesn't follow any of their rules. Uh, he doesn't really like following any of their rules. Uh, he's been eating with some friends, uh, and some of the religious people were there going, why didn't he wash his hands? He's supposed to wash his hands. Uh, and Jesus is just, what, what are you even talking about? Uh, it wasn't about hygiene. It's a good idea to wash your hands, but that wasn't the issue. The issue was that he was breaking their rules. Uh, and um, so Jesus had just got in this, uh, got in this um, I don't know, confrontation. You know when you get in a confrontation with somebody and it gets a little bit heated and words are exchanged and, you know, you don't cool down immediately. Uh, have you experienced that? Uh, and um, you go away, but for a little while it kind of runs around in your head. Uh, and I think that's what's going on with Jesus in this story. He's come out of that, uh, and fine, the Pharisees are gone, uh, and he's back out in the city, but I think he's kind of in that, in that mood. And he starts telling the crowds, everywhere he goes, he's got crowds of people around him who want to talk to him. And he, he just starts telling them, hey, just be careful. Don't be like the Pharisees, okay, because they think they know God. They think there's something special. Uh, they think that by following all these rules and performing all these outward rituals, that's going to bring them closer to God. Don't be like that. Beware about that. And he begins to teach them. Uh, he's, a, he's a great teacher. You probably knew that already. He begins to teach them uh, all about how they can have a relationship with God and what it means to have a relationship with God. Uh, if that argument was going around in his head at the time then, uh, I think he must have found it actually, this little incident, quite an infuriating experience because he keeps getting interrupted. Uh, everybody in the crowd that's following kind of has their own agenda for what they want to talk to Jesus about. And so he's kind of halfway through going, hey, beware of the, beware of the Pharisees, don't be like them. And then some guy in the crowd pipes up and says, hey, um, my father just died and my brother won't split the inheritance with me. Can you help out? Uh, is anybody in the room training to be a teacher? One, just one person, really? This is what your life's going to be like. <laughs> I'm a teacher, right? I, um, I, you know, every now and again, I don't think I always immediately connect with all the students in my classroom, but, you know, every now and again, I feel like I'm on a roll and I feel like I'm connecting with people and I'm making my point and everybody's listening to me. Everybody doesn't always listen to me, but every now and again, I think everybody's listening to me. This is great. Uh, it's going so well. Uh, and then somebody, invariably, somebody will put up their hand and say, is this going to be on the test? <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that moment is gone. I thought I was having an impact, but no, actually, uh, everybody just wants to know if I'm going to test them on it. I think this is what's going on for Jesus. Infuriatingly, he keeps getting interrupted. Some guy, can you, can you help me split the inheritance with my brother? Uh, this guy says, Jesus, can you help me? My dad died. Uh, you know, Jesus manages to kind of, I don't know, curtail in the heckler, if you like, uh, and starts to get things back on track again. And then, you know, his best friend, 
Peter. You'd think if there's anybody who would know better than to keep interrupting, it would be Peter. Interrupting Jesus never works out well for Peter. I don't know if you know anything about Peter and his stories. Uh, it never works out well. But anyway, Peter comes along and says, just, just clarify for me, Jesus. Are you talking to the crowd or are you talking to us now? I can't quite. <laughs> Peter, come on. Does it matter? So this is how Jesus' afternoon is going. Uh, I don't think it's been going uh, that well for him, I suppose. Uh, it, he's, been, he's been getting through to people, though, and uh, people just love being around him. People just love listening to him talk. The third interruption, though, I think, at least the way I read it, it's an interruption. The third interruption comes along, uh, and this one there's actually no getting out of. This one is a very bad interruption. Uh, Jesus is in the middle of teaching the people. Uh, he's got, you know, serious things to talk about, but I think everybody's kind of on board and listening to him. And then some guy comes up to him and tells him some breaking news, this thing that's just happened in Jerusalem. The Roman governor of the Jewish people. Okay, now, this is all important details. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to sound like a lecturer at this point, but it's quite important that you get what's going on here. The Roman governor of the Jewish people has just murdered a bunch of them. And not just murdered, actually. Uh, we'll, we'll just read what happened. Uh, verse 1 in chapter 13. Do you have a Bible there? Now, if you don't know your way around a Bible, don't be shy about asking the person next to you. Uh, they'll help you out, I'm sure. It'll be great if you want to follow along. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood... Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. That sounds, that's, that's as evil as it sounds. What he's done is he's gotten sick of them for whatever reason. He's killed them. And because they were in the temple ready to offer sacrifices to God, it was very normal in their culture. That's what you did. You went to the temple, you killed an animal and you sacrificed it to God. But he mixed their own blood in with the sacrifices that they were offering. There's no way that Jesus' afternoon is getting back on track at this point. Uh, this is the kind of news that just, you know, actually he's going to have to deal with that. He's going to have to deal with that now. Um, like our context today, there's some political things going on at the time. Uh, the crowds that are around him could be quite volatile. Race is an issue in Jesus' day. Uh, the corruption of political power is an issue in Jesus' day. Those things are issues in his day. There's a lot of violence around just in his culture, in his society. That's an issue in Jesus' day. That's going on around him. There are a lot of people. Jesus is talking to the ordinary Jewish people around him, remember. There are a lot of people who feel very oppressed. They're not happy about having a Roman governor in charge. They feel wronged. They feel angry. They're hurt. There's always the potential for violence to just erupt out at any time. Can you see that this news turning up at this time actually puts Jesus in danger? This news puts him in danger. The Romans had colonized, 
Palestine quite a long time ago. The Roman governor at the time, his name is Pilate. You may have heard of Pilate. He's the guy who's famous because he uh, allowed Jesus to be executed. Uh, he's He's the Roman governor at the time. He's in charge. He doesn't have all the power. There's also a um, there's also a not a Jewish king, an Edomite king, who's ruling over the Jewish people. You don't need to know who the Edomites are, really. They're just some other nation. There's an Edomite king who's ruling over the Jewish people. His name is Herod. Uh, he hasn't got all the power, but he's got quite a lot of power as well. So the Jewish people at the time are ruled by a Roman governor and an Edomite king. And neither of those guys who are ruling them actually understand Jewish culture very well, right? You can see that this is going to be an issue, can't you? I think you can. Uh, this isn't a happy situation. Pilate and Herod are always doing something that offends Jew- the Jewish people. They're always forever doing something that offends the Jewish people. Herod actually had one of the Jewish prophets executed. Uh, maybe you even know this guy. Have you heard of John the Baptist? Herod had had John the Baptist executed because he told John the Baptist had told him that his marriage was illegitimate under Jewish law. Pilate uh, had tried to, he was looking for a way to build an aqueduct to bring water into Jerusalem. Uh, and he'd tried to fund that by taking money out of the temple. And of course, the Jews didn't want money taken from the temple in order to fund Pilate's building projects. And so they kind of, there was a bit of a um, civil rebellion at the time and Pilate dealt with it by sending the troops in. Uh, and so Pilate had a little bit of a track history for using violence to put down uh, to put down the Jewish people as well. And to make matters worse, the leaders of the Jewish community pandered to the Romans and to Herod. Uh, so even the Pharisees and the Jewish rulers liked to um, maintain the political status quo. Do you feel like you understand what's going on? So you can see uh, this whole thing's a mess. And Jesus is hanging around with just the common, ordinary, everyday people. Uh, And this news comes that Pilate is having Jewish people killed in a really violent way. We don't know a lot about what he was doing or why. Uh, It doesn't really matter, I suppose. Imagine the kinds of reactions, though, that you would expect from the crowd. How do you think they're feeling when they hear this news? How do you think they're feeling? Yeah, I think they're feeling angry. Uh, I think there'd be a few different reactions. I think some of the crowd will be feeling quite anxious. So maybe a few of them will be scared that they would know somebody who was at the temple that day. Uh, That's a possibility. Uh, I think uh, a few of the crowd... um, you know, uh, a few of the crowd would be quite angry just at the political situation. Why should they have to go on living like this? How long is it going to be that they're going to have to suffer this intolerable Roman rule and this oppression anymore? Why should they? Yeah, I think some of them would feel like that. Uh, I think some of them would have blamed God. You know, how could God actually let this happen? Have you had a how could God let this happen moment in your life, I wonder. 
How could God actually let this happen? Where is God when this kind of stuff happens? What, what is God doing about this kind of stuff? I would imagine there would be people in the crowd who felt that way. And some, because of Jesus' particular cultural context, some of them were asking questions about, well, you know, had these people done something wrong? Did they deserve it? Was God punishing them? Uh, were these people worse sinners than everybody else? And that's why God let this happen. So this is a dangerous situation for Jesus because imagine, what, did, what do you think he's supposed to say? The whole crowd now are looking at him. What's he going to say? What are his options? If he says, you know, you're right, we shouldn't have to suffer Roman rule anymore. Let's go get our clubs and let's rebel. What will happen? What will happen? The Romans will send the troops in, right? And they'll kill him as a political insurrectionist. But given how the crowd's feeling, if he says the opposite, and if he says, you know what, it's a terrible thing and it's a tragedy, but let's just calm down. Let's remember that the Romans are in charge and there's nothing we can do about that. How will the crowd react? They'll think he's a coward. Right, exactly. This is exactly the political situation that no leader wants to find themselves in because this is a no-win. Do you see that? This is a no-win for Jesus. Uh, And given that, I think his response is actually really interesting. It's really interesting because it shows us that he's just thinking about the world in an entirely different way to the way we often think about the world. So he says something really surprising. The first thing he does is he answers the question about whether these people were extraordinary sinners of some kind. That's the easy question for him to answer. The answer is no. These people didn't suffer because they were worse sinners than everybody else. So that's what he says there in verse 2. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, uh, they weren't. Uh, Jesus compares it to another incident which... Uh, It seems to have been some kind of tragic accident. Apparently a tower had fallen over in Jerusalem at some stage uh, and killed some people. Again, Jesus says not about sin, just about about the way things are. Verse 4, all those 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you no. Uh, You will have noticed that I'm skipping a little bit of what Jesus said. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. Uh, So first, he clears away some of the misconceptions about what's going on. That's actually the easy part for him. Okay, the second thing he does is he answers the question about God. Why does God let stuff like this happen in the first place? Doesn't God care about oppression? Doesn't God care about suffering? Doesn't he care about that? Uh, His answer... as often is the case with Jesus, comes in the form of a story. Uh, And now this is, unfortunately, is one of those stories that nobody in our culture gets, but everybody in their culture got. Every now and again that happens in the Bible because, you know, it happened so far ago and in a different cultural world uh, and with different kinds of assumed knowledge. Uh, So Jesus tells this story about a fig tree. Uh, He starts it in verse 6. 
Then he told them this story. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. Uh, If that does seem like a little bit of a mystery to you, then what's going on here is that everybody in Jesus' crowd already knows that when you talk about fig trees, uh, you're talking about their society. They know that because there are so many fig tree stories in their Bible, which is our Old Testament. It's full of them. Uh, And every time they have roughly the same point. And they're not always fig trees, sorry, like gardening stories. Uh, And roughly they have the same point. Let me show you one of them. This one's from the prophet Isaiah. I'm just using it as an example. Let me just read to you something Isaiah had once said. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, he cleared its stones, and he planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower and carved a wine press in the nearby rocks, and he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. But the grapes that actually grew were bitter. He expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of violence. This is really common in your Old Testament Uh, And this would have been really well understood by the crowds that are around Jesus. Uh, Jesus is using a story that people would have understood. And it would have reminded them that the society God was looking for and the society God wanted from his people would be characterized by justice and righteousness. It would be characterized by justice and and righteousness. He expected a crop of justice, but he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but he heard cries of violence. So in other words, to those who heard about what Pilate did and asked the question, doesn't God care? Jesus' answer is, yes, God cares. God cares about wickedness. God cares about suffering. God cares about oppression. He expects to find Justice. He expects to find justice. That's what God's whole world is supposed to look like. It's supposed to be a world of justice. But have you noticed that it never is? It never is. It never is. So Jesus continues his story. Verse 7. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Now Jesus is answering the, isn't God going to do anything about this question? God's not ignoring what's going on amongst his people, says Jesus. God's not ignoring what's going on. Amongst his people. This, I think, is a really clever thing for Jesus to say. And if it's true, if Jesus is telling the truth about God, then this is, then this is amazing. On the one hand, the crowds know that he's not just pandering to Roman authority. He's not saying it's okay, we just got to live with Rome. No, actually, God cares. God cares. But neither is he saying, okay, let's go and get a gun and start shooting people. He's not saying that either. Actually, he's saying that God's plan isn't to just let this kind of wickedness and injustice go on forever. 
That's not God's plan. And this is actually good news for everybody who's standing right in front of Jesus. The only people who want this world as it is to just keep going on forever the way it's always gone are the people who benefit from it, the rich people, right? Not the people in front of Jesus. Have a think about it just for yourself. Do you just want this world to continue going on forever? Is that what you want? This, that's not what I want. Wouldn't you rather have a just, righteous world? Isn't that what you want? John the Baptist, before he got beheaded, he'd actually just said exactly the same thing. Herod had beheaded him, and just before it happened, he said, even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to swing at the roots of the tree. Same metaphor, right? Same message, same metaphor. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit, said John the Baptist, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So here's Jesus' message that day as he gets this news about Pilate. He's saying, okay, God's not ignoring wickedness. That's not what God is doing. When our cultures and our societies are broken and they're grieving, when the rich and the powerful seem to just get fat and just go on and the poor are oppressed and when the powerful take bribes and justice is perverted and there's no truth around you, do you look around your world, says Jesus, and do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Is that what you want? God doesn't ignore wickedness. Uh, much, earlier in, um, much earlier in Luke's account of Jesus, he'd been saying something pretty much exactly the same. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you'll be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you'll laugh. Are you looking for a world of justice and righteousness where violence and corruption can finally be forgotten. Is that the kind of world you want to live in? Well, come to me, says Jesus, because that's what the kingdom of God is like. That's the world you want? Then you're looking for me. Okay, but that's not actually Jesus' whole answer. That's a part of the answer. Uh, We skipped a bit, didn't we? Jesus had one more thing to say before he he, um, finished up. Why not just do it now? Why doesn't God just step in now and make this world? Well, Jesus continues his story. Verse 8. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Why not just cut the tree down now? If the axe is at the root of the tree, ready to strike, why not just cut it down now? Jesus' answer is there's still hope for fruit, actually. And Jesus is thinking now particularly of the people who are just right in front of him. If God comes in judgment right now and deals with every single wicked person in the world and every sin and every act of rebellion and every act of greed and lust and anger, be honest with yourself for a minute. If God comes right now to make a world of righteousness and peace and justice, will you fit there? Will you? Does that characterize your life? 
Does your life look like righteousness and peace and justice? Jesus knows about the people in front of him. It doesn't characterize their life either. Remember the bits that we skipped before? About this time, some people told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you also will perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. At first it seems like just such a weird thing for Jesus to say. But it's not. Jesus is saying, be careful what you wish for. If you want a world of righteousness and goodness and justice, then you better make sure that you're going to be part of it. Because one day, God's going to do that. One day, God won't just let this world continue as it always has forevermore such that injustice and wickedness just just reign. That's not God's plan for this world. One day God will come and you'll get the world that you were longing for. There will be righteousness, there will be peace, there will be justice, but just make sure that you're in it, won't you? Unless you repent, you too will perish, says Jesus. The question Jesus wants people in front of him to ask themselves, the same question that we need to ask ourselves actually, is will we be in it? Will we be one of them? This is why we wait. Whenever the Bible wrestles with why God doesn't do something about the wickedness in this world, it always answers the same way. The answer is always God is being patient. Just leave it alone for a year. Let me fertilize the tree. Let's just see if we can get any fruit from it first. God is being patient. He doesn't want you to perish. He didn't want me to perish. So he waited. He's waiting for you. About six chapters after this one in Luke's story of Jesus, he'll come across one of the most um, unsympathizable men I think I've met in all of literary history. (laughs) This guy is a, um, he's just a scoundrel, really. Uh, he got absolutely wealthy just by defrauding everybody around him. He's got no friends. He's like the Scrooge of the Bible. Uh, <laughs> he's got no friends. Nobody likes him. Everybody knows that he just steals their money. He's a tax collector and he, nobody can do anything about it. So they just give him all their money and he just gets richer uh, and everybody around him gets poorer and he doesn't care. Uh, and um, he's, he's actually physically little. One day he hears that Jesus is coming and he wants to see this guy that everybody's talking about. So he has to climb a tree because there's so many people crowding around Jesus. He can't kind of, he can't get his, um, he can't get his head over the crowd to see what's happening and what's going on. Uh, He climbs a tree and Jesus is walking past and stops and notices Zacchaeus up the tree and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your place for 
supper tonight. Which, okay, that's incredible as it is. Uh, Even more incredible, though, is Zacchaeus so moved by meeting Jesus, so um, just overcome by Jesus' incredible generosity towards him, realizes that he needs to do something drastic about his life and completely turns it around. He repents, he pays back all the money that he's been defrauded multiple times over, Uh, And he turns to Jesus and said, look, I'm lost. You've got to save me. And Jesus does. And Jesus says, look, salvation has come to this home today because the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. This is why, this is why God waits. This is why he doesn't just come in justice and righteousness now because he doesn't want you to be lost. He wants you to be a part of the world of justice when it comes to. So he sends Jesus and Jesus comes to seek and save you and me. So that even though, even though we're not worthy of being part of that world that God is creating, even though, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not righteous people, we're not just people, that's, that doesn't characterize our lives, even though that's true. Because Jesus came, we can have a place there. Because God waited, we can have a place there. They called him friend of sinners because they didn't like the company that he kept. But isn't it a good thing he was a friend of sinners? We're going to pray, and then Gareth is going to come and give you an opportunity to respond to what I've been talking about tonight. If you want to find a place in the kingdom of righteousness and justice that God is bringing into the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you are a just God, that you care, that you don't just want wickedness to go on forever, that you want righteousness, that you expect it, that you look for it, and that you're willing to fight for it. Thank you also for waiting and being patient with us. And thank you for sending Jesus to seek and save the lost so that we can have a part in your kingdom. Help us to trust, Father, that Jesus will do that for us. Pray in his name. Amen.